Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Format this morning, and we're going to look at, look at uh, a few things before we take the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be looking at, I'm going to be speaking on what He did, what Jesus did in particular, and then Pastor's going to be doing uh, what He's doing, and then Tim's going to be doing what He will do. But just take a few moments here and look at what He did. And um, I think I, I, I was thinking about that song when I was preparing that, that song, uh, He Came to Heaven and Earth. And just think about the direction, just thinking about Jesus's, the story of Jesus, the gospel message as directional. In fact, He came from heaven, He came to earth, He lived a sinless life, He died, He went to the grave, the lowest place you can go, and he, then He rose from the grave and He ascended to heaven. And just think about the gospel as directional. I love that song. And... Um, John 1, and first we're looking at what he did is his incarnation and his sinless life. Uh, John 1 says that the Word existed with God and he was God, that he became a real flesh and blood human. This eternal Word that existed before his creation was outside and unrestricted of every other power, including space, time, and matter. He wasn't bound by those things like we are. And His creation is. God is unlimited. And the Word was unlimited. God is still unlimited. But the Word, the word could do anything. But He chose to display His love to every person by being a part of this world. This world that was subject to all the things that we're subject to. Um, he subjected Himself not only to the will of God the Father, but also became subject to this cursed world that was a result of man's rejected of the Creator God. The Word did that. This is what He did. He became a human and He lived His life as a normal human. The Bible says, He laid, he, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He didn't live as a reigning king in riches and honor. He lived as a poor teacher of twelve men. Also think about what he did in his life, not only that he came in his incarnation, but what he did was he lived a perfect, sinless life. And what does that mean? Uh, he just didn't do bad things. He didn't sin. Yes. He didn't cuss. He didn't chew tobacco. <laughs> oh, it was way more than that. It was not that he didn't do bad things. It was not even that he uh, obeyed the Mosaic Law, which he did that. It was not only that he fulfilled every foreshadow and type of, in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. He did. Uh, he he came to do the will of God, and that's what the key is. That's, he was so perfect. He was completely perfect. 
Even when he prayed on the Mount of Olives before his crucifixion, he said, not my will, but yours be done. The goal, we know that the goal was the cross, but it was not the ultimate goal. The goal was God's will to be done. And that was what, how he was able to be, to, to be the sinless Son of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So what was all that for? What was his incarnation for? Uh, uh, what he did. We're looking at what he did. And also we're looking at his death in our place uh, as what he did. At the end of his earthly ministry, he was arrested, tried, and sentenced to death by the governments, even though he had done no wrong. His death was to be nailed to a cross and to suffer the most shameful and agonizing death but what was, what was that it? Uh, we know from scriptures that we, when he was on the cross, I mean, the world saw him, I mean, the people saw him die on the cross and be rejected. He, was, he died outside the city as a common criminal. But we know from the scriptures that there's a lot more going on than that, just that crucifixion, that awful death, uh, the most painful death physically. But it was also more than that. We know that what, what happened? He, he died in our place. He was able to do that because he came and because he was the perfect sinless person, this is what he did. Uh, we know from uh, he know he he endured the weight of all the sin of the world, which included your sin and mine. This is what he did. He endured the wrath of God, which is God's just punishment for our sins against him. He did all this and more in our place. This is what he did. A few weeks ago, uh, I taught Sunday school class, and I just thought about this. So. Real quickly, just imagine if you had a paper, or you could write down on the paper all your sins, and it'd take up many pieces of paper, it'd take up books, probably. If you could actually record, and we know that that is true, the truth is that our sins are recorded, and we could have on one side our sins, and then we're going to have all the sins of every other person in the world in a, a giant pile, let's just say that. But let's think about personally your sins, so we can just think about that. And we have our name at the top of this list. Ben, my name. Your name, right there. And we have Jesus, his name on the top of his list, which is nothing, right? Completely flawless, perfect. And this is what happened on the cross. I don't have an example here. I'm just doing this. He erased your name, and he put his name right there. And this one, he, put our, he erased his name and he put your name. And that's what Jesus did in our place. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 2.9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He died in our place. Uh, we know that. We believe that. We look, look at something else he did. His resurrection and our eternal hope. Um, the scriptures tell us that after three days he arose from the dead. He appeared to many people as well. This is what he did to show that he had a real body. He appeared to many people to show that he had a real body. He could be touched. He was a physical resurrection. 
and they saw him eat even, and they they were amazed, and their lives were changed. The apostles and the disciples' lives were changed because they knew it was real. This is what he did. But it wasn't just to show or prove that he was alive, or even to show or prove that he was the Messiah. There was something greater than that. It was something really great as far as something we can partake of. His resurrection was a complete conquering of death. What is the scariest thing we can imagine? It's probably some type of death in the, in the eternity that waits. And we know that from, a, I mean, normally that would be the case. As Christians, we don't have that fear because of what? Because what he did, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. He lives, because he lives, we have the hope that even after we die, we will also be victorious in a resurrected body, a real resurrected body, just like he had. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, or a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope. It's based upon what Jesus did. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwell wealth in you. All these things that he did show his love for us, show his love for you. He came himself. He didn't send somebody else. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send another creature. He came himself physically. He came to be human. He came to be like one of us. He came, he died a human and he rose with a new human body. All these things that he did were also prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. This is what he did. Ben mentioned I am doing the part on what he is doing now. In between his ascension up into glory and he's coming in the clouds to call us home. What's he doing now? And we're going to look at that this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be in several verses in Romans, and then we're also going to be in a verse in Ephesians. And uh, so mark your spot in Romans, because we'll be coming back to it. Uh, The central person in all of history is the Lord Jesus Christ the central person in the story of redemption. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sins. He did that. And then 40 days after he rose from the grave, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the last chapter, 24, and the first chapter of Acts, both describe Jesus ascending up into heaven. He just rose up and went up into the clouds and then went to heaven to be with the Father. And so what's he doing while he's up in heaven right now? Well, in Romans chapter 3, we're going to see the first thing he's doing is he is saving all who put their faith and trust in him. Saving all who put their faith and trust in him. Before we read this verse, just a survey. How many of you here have ever done something wrong or failed to do something right. It's called sin. Anybody? Okay. I thought so. I'm glad you raised your hand because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you were sitting next to somebody who didn't raise their hand, you can just tell them they, they did sin. They have sinned. You can just point it out to them. Uh, all have sinned. Every person. And look in chapter 6. What do you deserve because of your sin? Well, it's not pleasant, I'll tell you that. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the last verse of chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. Pause right there. Don't read the rest. The wages of sin is death. So all have sinned, right? Every person, every man, woman, and child, everyone born in the United States, everyone born on any planet, on any continent on this planet, everyone born anywhere on this planet has sinned at some point. And so what do they deserve because of their sin? What do you deserve because you're sin? What does it say? You deserve death. You deserve death. Now, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't want you to die in your sin. He wanted to make a way. And he made a way whereby every man, woman, and child who trusts and believes in him can be saved. Now, some of you were nice people before you came to Christ. My wife was one of those nice people. I would not so much. Uh, some of you had some baggage. Some of you had jail time. Some of you had prison time. Some of you had... Uh, addictions. Some of you had crimes, not just sins, but crimes that you've done. And so even nice people, even good people, even people, their parents would look at them and say, there's such a blessing in my life. Even those people have sinned in some way. They've either not done the right thing or failed to do the wrong uh, the thing. They, they've done something wrong or they've not done something right. They've sinned against God in some way and they need to be saved. So mark your spot in Romans and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to jump right back into Romans. Ephesians chapter 2, um, if you're having a paper Bible, you can mark your spot in Romans. If you're clicking, you just pop over and pop back. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace you have been saved. So if you're here this morning and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are part of his family by grace. You didn't deserve it. God didn't look down from heaven and say, oh man, there is Johnny. Johnny is so good looking. i got to make him part of my family. Now, his mom is here today, and she'll say Johnny's good looking. His wife's here today, and she'll say Johnny's good looking when he behaves well. Uh, but you know what? God saw Johnny in his sin, and he saw you in your sin, and he loved you anyway. In fact, Romans 5.8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing that you would sin against him, he still prepaid the penalty for your sins on the cross. He bore the punishment for your sins before you were even born. He already paid that penalty so that you could be saved. Now jump back to Romans, and we'll look in chapter 10, and it tells us how we can be saved. See, in Hebrews 7 says, 
Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He saves to the uttermost. Not just partially saved, but completely, absolutely, totally saved. Look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Ben was just sharing about, his death, burial, and resurrection. If you believe that, believe that he paid the penalty for your sin, then you'll be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you believe it in your heart, and then you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and that you need the Savior, and the Bible says, then you are saved. That's what God does in response to your confession. When you trust Him as your, as your Savior, He is both at your side and also on your side, making intercession for you. So He is saving all who put their faith and trust in Him. What does John 14 say Jesus is doing in heaven? For those who believe and trust Him, He's preparing something. What is it? He's preparing a place for you in heaven. He has a spot reserved for you in heaven. Now, I've been over where Dr. Kelly's office is. There is no spot outside that says reserved for Dr. Kelly. But you know, there is in heaven. There's a spot reserved for Ed Kelly, my child. God has that place prepared for him by Jesus. He's preparing a place for you because you're part of his family. And he's also guiding us with his Holy Spirit. We were looking at that in the Bible classes. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said he would send the comforter, the paraclete, the one who would come alongside and help you. Now, at times in my life, I've had trouble walking. And there was a time when Kathy and I were out somewhere, and I hadn't planned to have trouble that day because I hadn't had any lately, and I did. And I didn't have my cane with me to help me, so I just put my arm on her. And she put her arm around me, and she was my cane. And she helped me along. Well, the paraclete is the one who comes alongside and helps you. He helps you understand the scripture. He helps you follow God. He helps you avoid sin by bringing conviction in your life. So he also helps you make wise spiritual choices in your life. But one of the neat things that Jesus did, that he did back then that still is an ongoing impact today. He was an example of what it means to trust and follow God the Father. We can follow his example as Ephesians 5 says, walk in love as Christ has also loved us and gave himself for us. So Jesus modeled what it looks like to be an obedient child. He submitted to his mother and father even though he was God the Son in the flesh. He modeled for us what it means to be a good friend, a leader, a teacher, a caregiver, a citizen of both heaven and earth. He modeled it for us. We can learn from his example. He showed us what submission and sacrifice look like. He even showed us what love and forgiveness looked like. As he hung on the cross, he forgave the man next to him and told him he would be in heaven with him that very day. He showed grace to all 
He showed extreme grace to all who confessed their sins. And he also showed forgiveness. But he didn't water down the truth. He told the truth straight up so that people could know they were sinners and they needed to be saved. And he did. He was a faithful son and he is still a faithful friend. So as a church, we encourage each one of you to trust and follow Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the things that Jesus has done. We've looked at what he is currently doing for us. But now we're going to look at what will he do for us. For those of you who are in Sunday school today, we talked about part of this already. Because one of the biggest things Jesus is going to do is fulfill his promises. You want to guess how many promises are in Scripture? It, you can, people went online, if you go online and like search, my favorite one, someone said there's about 30,000 promises in Scripture. Which is fascinating because there's 31,173 verses in Scripture. So I don't know if they're just trying to say every verse is a promise. But it, there are over 7,000 promises made between God and mankind. And you want to guess how many of them come true? Every single one of them. What's fascinating is in the Old Testament, God makes several promises with Israel. He makes enemy deals. Um, in Hebrew, there is no word for promise. It's not even needed because when God says something, it's true. If God says something will happen, it will happen. He doesn't need a special word. I promise this will happen. He doesn't need to do something to emphasize. If God says something will happen, it will happen. And so there's some big promises that Jesus himself made on this earth that I want to focus on here. The big one, as Pastor talked about, is our salvation. John 6.37 says that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus Christ offers salvation freely to everyone. And if anyone comes to Jesus, he accepts. And that is a promise for everyone. Jesus promised to use you. He promises to use you in the work. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is calling the disciples. And as he calls to them, he says to some of them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say follow me and I will put together an action plan to see where you best fit, to see what kind of things we can determine. Not Follow me and we'll see what skill sets you already have so that we can place you properly. He says, follow me and who will make you a fisher of men? He will make us fishers of men. Jesus Christ will use you. And he's the one that will make sure you're able to do the things he wants you to do. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ promises to give us rest and renewal. John 10.10 says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more 
abundantly. He promises us an abundant life. Not an easy life, but an abundant one. Because there's something else Jesus promised us. Bad things are going to happen. We will be tested. We will face persecution. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He promises that we are going to face some tough times. And while he's talking to the guys here in Matthew, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. And so the cross doesn't mean the same thing to these guys as it does to us because we understand what Jesus is alluding to. The cross was not pleasant. No one wakes up in the morning and like, man, I hope I get nailed to a cross today. It is horrendous. And Jesus Christ promises that we will suffer and have to deal with things. But here's the beauty of it. He also promises it's temporary. Because one day, Jesus Christ is going to welcome you to glory. John 14, uh, verses 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's not just that Jesus has made a place for us. It's not just that, hey, heaven's a cool place. Jesus Christ wants us to be there with him. And he promises, if I go to get this place ready for you, I'm coming back for you. On the cross, Jesus was not alone. He had two guys with him, one on each side. And those two thieves, one of them had, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. However, one of them started to understand who Jesus was. And we're told that Jesus turned to him and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus Christ wants, is going to welcome us into heaven. And once we get there, we're told we're going to be rewarded for our labors. You guys can start turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We will be rewarded for our labors. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading a little bit from some other verses too. But we will be rewarded for the things that we have done on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will be rewarded for the things that we've done on earth. We will earn those wages. As Pastor was talking about in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. All right, you guys are paying attention good so far. And so we understand wages are what we deserve, what we earn. And so when we get to heaven, we will earn our wages for our labors, whether it's good or whether it's bad. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, jump down to verse number 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What we are doing in this life matters. We are building upon the foundation that Jesus Christ has laid for us. He himself is that foundation. And the things we do in this life, we are building upon it. And the different things we do essentially get categorized. And here, the examples being used, they can be either gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And we're told that all of that is going to be judged by fire. So when it comes to metal, gold and silver, what does metal do in the fire? It is refined. It is purified. It can be made better, more beautiful. But in the end, does the metal disappear? What happens to wood in the fire? What happens to hay and straw in the fire? I mean, it barely even does that. I mean, it's just poof. Everything we do essentially is being categorized into these two groups, that when it is judged by fire, we'll be rewarded essentially based off what's left. The rest will burn away. Years ago at a conference I was at, um, this was the focus of what one of the guys was talking about. And one of the most sadistic truths about Satan is the things he has done in this world so that when we look out, I want you to understand, there is lots of beautiful wood, hay, and stubble out there. There's lots of things that we like to focus on that we think are good things to do, but in the end are not close to what God wants us to be doing. We are promised that we will be judged for our labors. And all that stuff will be burned away, and what will be left is the good. And then we will receive a reward. From a theological standpoint, it is fascinating to see the discussions that people have. Why do we receive a reward in heaven? I mean, it, it's heaven. How good is heaven? <laughs> heaven is great just by itself. How good is heaven compared to the other option? it looks even better now because we're comparing against two different things. And so the question becomes often, well, why do we get rewards in heaven? Um, Paul uses the terms crown several times. We receive different crowns for things we're doing. If we are witnesses, if we're going out and bearing the truth of God, um, if we endure, these are different crowns that are we're told about. But in the end, all of our work, all of our good deeds according to Jesus, we are supposed to shine 
We're supposed to shine as a light. So they will see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. All of this that we're doing has nothing to do with us. It's not because we're seeking reward. We're doing this to lift up the Father. That is the entire point of what the Holy Spirit does, to glorify God. And he does that work through us here on earth. And so in a little bit, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And before we partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things we do is we essentially reflect. We look at what, look at ourselves. And if we take an honest look at ourselves, I challenge you to think, what are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? There's lots of things that the world tells us are good that we should focus on. The world tells us we should just love everyone, no matter what they're doing or what's going on. And we should love the people, but that doesn't mean we accept what they do. And in Christian circles, there's a lot of people that say, well, they've done something wrong. We should never have anything to do with them. and We should shun them openly. And that's also not what God says to do. There's lots of things that might seem good, but if we took a good hard look at it, we need to make sure that we are following the word and will of God. And so as we reflect, as you look onto your life, what are you focused on? What is the purpose of your vision? We know when Jesus Christ says something will happen, it will happen. He told the disciples, I will die. And he died. He said, I will rise again. And he rose again. He gave promises throughout Scripture, and he has fulfilled them every single time. And we know if we read it, it will happen. And so we need to take that, and we need to take an honest look in our lives to see where can we do better, and where are we doing great. And if you're doing great, it's not because of you. It's because we serve an amazing God who works through us and chooses to use us. And we're supposed to shine as a light to glorify our God. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.